Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 6 of Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to be reading from Daniel 3 beginning in verse 15. Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God? that shall deliver you out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Well, um, we've been discussing the hour, as it says in verse 15, um, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And we've seen clearly from the Bible the hour points to the hour of great tribulation. The last hour in the workday in which God does the work of saving. And it is the time when Satan uh, rises up out of the bottomless pit. He begins to rule over the churches and congregations of the world. He begins to rule over the nations of the world in a manner he has not previously enjoyed. His rule is greatly expanded. It is the greatest extent, really, of his rule in all history. And and at that time, he begins to focus on God's elect within the congregations. And as all the unsaved people of the earth, all whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, do worship him, yet there are a few that do not, and they're typified by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as we have seen in a past study, God repeatedly mentions these three men in this chapter. Their names are joined together 13 times. And that's because the hour of great tribulation takes place beginning in the year 1988, which is the 13,000th year of Earth's history. It was at that point that Satan ascended to the throne uh, over uh, as the man of sin to rule over the churches. And it's at that point that the push and, and the pressure began to mount upon God's people to worship him rather than God. And 
and people go to church to worship. We saw that in Revelation 13, the image of the beast, and in Revelation 13, the beast rises up out of the sea, is another way of saying that Satan has been loosed out of the bottomless pit, and he uh, he takes over the church, and, and makes over the church in his own image, and all are commanded to worship the image of the beast. We read in Revelation 13, and whoever does not worship is to be killed. And, and, and so we, we see, um, the exact picture that we find in Daniel chapter 3. Well, we were looking at one verse in Revelation 13 concerning the beast in Revelation 13, verse 5, after he's risen up, he, he's been restored power and authority. It says, And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. We know that the Great Tribulation is a time for Satan and his kingdom to be victorious. And yet there's another characteristic, which is it's a time of blasphemy. Blasphemy, the, the Greek word translated as blaspheme or blasphemy in the Bible, it really means to speak evil of. And yet God particularly signals out that sin of speaking evil of. And in certain seasons, the Lord calls that the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 3, it says in verse 22, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils, casteth he out devils. Now they're speaking of Jesus, the the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we read the gospel accounts, when Christ does something again and again and again, we find that he is operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, For instance... In Luke chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And, and that's typical of the things we read of Christ. The, the Spirit was intimately involved in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the things he did. The things he said, he, he was, uh, fully in line with and, and as it said in Luke, led by the Spirit. Now, of course, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God Himself. And just as the Father is God Himself and Jesus the Son is God Himself, we know the Bible teaches the Trinity, but the Spirit has a particular role to play, 
just as Christ had his role to play within the Godhead, and the Father has his role to play, and the Spirit has a particular role to play of bringing forth truth. And especially at the time when Christ had entered into the world, and, and, and remember, when, when he was born of the Virgin Mary, uh, what did God say about that? How, how did that take place or happen? Well, we read in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus, Jesus Christ, was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. The Lord Jesus Christ, his, his very birth was of the Holy Ghost. And, and, and then he continued in, uh, in the world and, and, uh, throughout his ministry, uh, led by the Spirit uh, and, and speaking, uh, fully in line with the Spirit. And it's interesting that Jesus was born in the year 7 BC, which was a Jubilee year. And God speaks of a Jubilee year as a time of the outpouring of the Spirit. And the completion of Christ's birth, it, it would really result in the outpouring of the Spirit in 33 AD on the day of Pentecost. And, and then later in the year 1994, another Jubilee year, the Lord would pour out His Spirit a second time. So the, the Holy Spirit being poured out identifies with the Jubilee and it identifies with seasons of God's salvation program being poured out as the Lord determines uh, these times and seasons for evangelization and 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 within the day of salvation and the holy spirit is key he is central to these seasons and it also happened when god brought forth the lord jesus christ of the spirit in the jubilee that these enemies of God within Israel, within the uh, corporate body, within the church, they said that he had Beelzebub. And Beelzebub is a devil. As it says here in Mark 3, he hath, in verse 22, he hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. So, basically, they're saying Jesus was operating not under the power of the Holy Spirit. The things he was doing, and therefore the things he was saying, had no relationship to the Holy Spirit of God, but instead it was done by Beelzebub, by Satan, the prince of the devils. And and this is what God condemns. In verse 28 of Mark 3, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, 
and blasphemies, and again, that would be speaking evil of. You can speak evil of a great many things God is saying, or and still uh, potentially be someone that God forgives, those sins as well as others. And blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme, but he that shall blaspheme or speak evil against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. And we, I mentioned last time that really that should be translated as guilty of eternal damnation. And then in verse 30, because they said, this is the reason for this um, pronouncement of condemnation by God, because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, is most pure. That's why it's the Holy Spirit and good. And, and everything the Holy Spirit does is very clean. What God has cleansed, call not thou common. In uh, the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when God made a change in program concerning the Gentiles, that was spoken evil of. And these changes in program at certain times and seasons, and God doesn't change program lightly. He, he doesn't do it as often as the, the wind blows. He, he very carefully, very precisely makes a change in program normally after uh, long, long periods of time. For instance, Israel was the corporate body, the people of God, for hundreds and hundreds of years, depending on where you would start that relationship. If you go all the way back to Abraham, over 2,000 years. Or if you go to Jacob, when he had his name changed to Israel, that also was close to 2,000 years from the time when Christ went to the cross. And so God makes a determination. It is time for a change in program because Israel's role to play in, in the Old Testament, in, in the time of the early righteous reign, was to produce the fruit of the Messiah. That was their main objective, produce the fruit of the Messiah. And, of course, when Jesus is born of the Spirit, enters into the world, into the tribe of Judah, they have produced the fruit. And now it's time for the change in program. And God has another plan. He, he will no longer use national Israel, but for uh, the time after Christ, the New Testament age, he will use churches and congregations. And, and so the Lord Jesus, uh, begins to declare divine revelation, further information coming forth from God, coming down from heaven, and the things that he says are despised, even his mighty miracles. 
which which no one could deny the the uh, abundance of healings and and giving sight to the blind ears to the deaf legs to the lame life even to the physically dead as he would raise certain uh, a couple of individuals um to life no one could deny these things and yet israel was blinded and they in anger and uh, in jealousy in envy they lashed out and they tried to convince the people that these things are not from god and and so they uh, they, they had the positions of authority, not just in one synagogue, but in all the synagogues of Israel. Uh, yes, there could have been a few that were faithful, reasonably faithful, but for, yeah, uh, I won't say all. They, they had the vast majority of synagogues on their side. They had the, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, all, all the, the ruling Spiritual authorities were telling the people, no, this is of Beelzebub. This is of Satan. And the sin of speaking evil against the Holy Spirit, of saying that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, was, who was really under the power of the Holy Spirit, was under the power of an unclean spirit. And that is the sin that's unforgivable for a corporate entity, for the corporate body, the Church of Israel, as they're called in Acts 7. They were called the Church in the Wilderness. They now are committing the sin corporately, and the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit is a corporate sin. It's yes, individuals, leaders are the ones that direct the, the way people are thinking and, and the things they're saying in this regard. But God does not hold the individual responsible. That is, it's not as though God is saying there is no forgiveness for the individual, but it is for the corporate institution for national Israel, they will have no forgiveness forever. There will no longer be salvation available within Israel. That's why Jesus cursed the fig tree. Uh, Bring forth no fruit henceforward forever. An eternal curse. And, And that's the same pronouncement uh, concerning the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, we've already seen in our last study in Mark 13, but I'll, I'll turn there just so we can be reminded. In Mark 13, in verse 10 and 11, the gospel must first be published among all nations, but when they shall lead you and deliver you up, Take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. The Lord um, emphasizes that in the time of the Great Tribulation, 
the Holy Ghost will speak. And the reason for this is because the Great Tribulation is another point in God's timetable in his program of things in which he makes a dramatic change. Back in the first century A.D., the Lord initiated and began the church age with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the church age continued for a very long time, 1955 years until the year 1988 A.D., and then Satan is loosed. And at that point, uh, he enters into the church, the Holy Spirit comes out of the midst of the church, and Satan takes his seat in the congregations of the world, ruling as the man of sin. And so God finishes the church age, he ends his relationship with that corporate body, just as he did with national Israel 1,955 years earlier. And it's at that time that the Lord is making a dramatic change in program. He's no longer going to work within the church, but instead he will work outside of the church for the little season of great tribulation, and there he will do his work of saving. Again, though, again, the corporate body, just as national Israel before it, now the New Testament church, is confronted, it must face the the things that the Bible is declaring through the power of the Spirit of God concerning this change in program. And the corporate body reacts badly and, and is very negative, we, we know this because we've lived through it, towards this new information. But again, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit um, takes full responsibility. God takes full responsibility for the information that comes forth in the time of the Great Tribulation. Remember, the Word was sealed up till the time of the end, and then knowledge increases. Well, the uh, sealing up of the Word and then the opening of the word to the understanding of God's people is all accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And, and here in Mark 13, 11, God speaks of the people of God, his elect being given things to speak in that hour. Of course, it, it is related to the word of God. That's what God's people speak. That's what the Bible's concerned with. And yet when they speak, he makes a point of saying it's not you, yourselves that are speaking, but the Holy Ghost. And that's done through the comparison of Scripture, Scripture with, or spiritual with spiritual, and the Holy Spirit speaks or teaches. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We also find in John 14, John 14, and verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom 
the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Did the Holy Spirit teach all things um, in, in the time Christ was speaking? No. No. Remember again, Daniel 12.4. Seal up the word till the time of the end. And, and the implication is, at the time of the end, the seals are taken off and knowledge increases. That's when the Holy Spirit will teach all things or bring forth the completeness of the knowledge that God wants his people to have for this world. That is performed by the Holy Spirit, that action of opening up the minds and understanding of his people at the time of the end, which agrees with that hour of Mark thirteen eleven, that things uh, information is giving to speak. Also, let's go to John 16, in verse 12. It says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, Christ is saying he has many things still to say, but ye cannot bear them now. And we can understand that because in the time of the end, the Holy Spirit brings forth information regarding the end of the church age and regarding a timeline for the great tribulation and judgment day and, and, and other things that, that the people of God, um, if they would have learned them through Christ in the first century would have borne a very heavy weight for many centuries. You know, we, the children of God desire to know truth and we want to know the truth, whether it's a positive truth or, or a negative truth in the sense that it can be grievous. Now, of course, all truth is positive, but certain truths are, are grievous. They're, they're very difficult to bear. They're, they're difficult to endure. For instance, in our time, God has brought forth the truth that he has ended his salvation program. A very hard, grievous truth. But we who are alive today, all we have to endure is just a few short years, and and then will come the end. But imagine bearing the weight of that kind of information right from the start, right in 33 A.D. and, and in the first century A.D., where you're told, well, the end of the world will come uh, in about 2,000 years. And and so uh, the Lord's people um, born in uh, the 2nd century and 3rd century and 10th century and 15th century, they, they live their lives with no expectation that Christ will come during their lifetime 
And that God did not want. He did not want. He wanted his people to have hope and expectation that maybe the Lord would come. It served to lighten their burden somewhat. And, and as they would wait on the Lord and, and they could always have hope, legitimate hope, because God kept back that information from them regarding times and seasons of the end. And, and so uh, that's what Jesus is saying. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. And we see that word all again. It will take place when the spirit comes. Now, some people, some theologians, they look at Acts chapter 2 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and, and they would relate what Christ is saying with that time period. The only problem is that we know that that God relates the New Testament age as a time period in which men slept. And in the book of Isaiah, the Lord equates um, the sealed book to those that are asleep, or he likens it to those that are asleep. And no, um, the, the church age was not a time when the Holy Spirit brought forth all truth, that's very obvious. Uh, they lacked understanding uh, concerning God's end time judgment program. They lacked understanding concerning the nature of Christ's work on the cross. They thought he was making payment for sins. They lacked understanding concerning the teaching of hell. Just many things. What is more accurate, what fits the church age, is the statement in 1 Corinthians that says that we see through a glass darkly. Actually, uh, since I made reference to that a couple of times, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it says in verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. And that statement identifies with the church age. They had more understanding than the Old Testament saints, but still it was partial, and therefore they prophesied according to what they knew. And, and you know, uh, this is also important for us, that when we look back on the church age, and we see that men prophesied, uh, faithful men prophesied concerning hell, and they were wrong, or prophesied concerning Christ making payment for sin at the cross, and they were wrong, or prophesied in some instances regarding faith they they didn't fully understand, were saved by the faith of Christ, and therefore they were wrong, or when they they prophesied of the end of the world, and they came up with their end-time scenarios, and they were wrong, we do not speak of them as false prophets. We understand they prophesied according to their level of knowledge and understanding, and God, the Holy Spirit, is in control of that. 
and and they could go no further. They had partial understanding. But notice what it says in verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come. Who is, who's perfect? God's perfect. And remember, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And that's who the perfect is referring to here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now that uh, language of when I was a child and speaking as a child and understanding as a child and 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 thinking as a child it relates to having limited information because one characteristic of children is that they're they're learning they're they're gaining knowledge they they do not have the amount of knowledge as an adult and just think anyone who's you know, an older person, just think back to when you were younger. And we can remember, I know I can remember, just how limited in understanding, not just um, school understanding, but, but concerning life. A, a child, a teenager, lacks experience, he lacks knowledge, he lacks understanding that comes over the course of time. There's growth into adulthood. There's maturity. Well, God likens the church age to those that are like a child. They, because they only have partial understanding. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, it says in verse 11, I'll start reading there, of whom we have many things to say. That's referring back to Melchizedek. And hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. So God is indicating there's, there's a dullness of hearing and, and that would have to do with understanding. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And of course that one teacher would be the Holy Spirit. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Full age is the word perfect. It's a word that identifies with the Holy Spirit and, and also with the time of the end. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And then it says in chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, 
and of eternal judgment, and so forth. So here, um, this passage from chapter 5 into chapter 6 is indicating there must be a growing in grace and in knowledge of God that there is a movement from the doctrines of the church age to greater understanding that knowledge that Daniel 12 verse 4 speaks of at the time of the end. Seal up the word till the time of the end and knowledge will increase. And, and so we have to leave these these earlier principles or leave these earlier teachings that were limited in uh, understanding. They, they were partial uh, and therefore childlike, immature understandings, and we must move on to perfection. Again, the, the idea of perfection, because the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Not uh, most of the truth, but all of the truth. And back in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I spake as a child. That would be partial in our understanding, in our speaking. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. We we have put away, uh, for example, in our time, the childish things of hell, the childish things of Jesus making payment on the cross, we, we just see so clearly at this point that that's an impossibility because it was uh, absolutely necessary for Christ to make payment at the foundation of the world in order uh, for there to be any remission of sins during the 11,000 years of the Old Testament. And uh, we see clearly God's uh, timetable, the biblical calendar of history, just so much information has come forth that God's people now see and understand, causing us to put away the childish things. To, we have put away the childish thing of free will salvation or, or works contaminating salvation in any way any kind of work perverting the gospel of grace, even that childish thing that Reformed churches uh, were uh, administering in their teaching when they would speak of election, they would give lip service to salvation completely by God's grace and always add that little detail, uh, but we believe. And with that little bit of work, they would pollute the whole. A little fly into the ointment of the apothecary sends forth a stinking savor. And likewise, the littlest bit of work ruins grace. And not today, though, not today. God has brought himself great glory, and he has shown that it's completely by the faith of Christ. So all these childish things are being put away by God's people. Then in verse 12, for now, and, and again, this is written by the Apostle Paul in the first century AD, and and so 
during the church age, during the time of limited or partial understanding. For now, Paul is saying, for the church age, we see through a glass darkly. And, you know, if you, you look through some uh, glasses and it, it's cloudy, it it's not um, it, not not glasses you wear, but but um, like a glass you would drink out of. If you look through that kind of prism, and if if you're trying to see something on the other side, you can make out certain things, but but they're not very well refined. Um, they're they're hazy. They're unclear. You you can see basic outlines but no fine detail. And that's the idea for that during the church age. Of course, they could read Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation regarding the beast, and, and they had certain ideas. They, they had some things correct, but other things incorrect. They had basic outlines in some cases, but always error because they saw through a glass darkly. And I'll read verse 12 from the start again. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. Not partial understanding, now I know in part, but then full understanding. And instead of seeing through a glass darkly, then face to face. And of course, this verse has been read and understood during the time of partial understanding that they, their understanding of this verse has been partial and incorrect, that the time when we see God face to face is the end of the world or, or when we enter into heaven upon our death. And of course, that's True in one sense, we meet God, but it's not what this verse is referring to. Face to face is a very um, special statement. It's a statement God uses to indicate a truth. And the only way to understand it is to search the Bible and, and find how this idea or this kind of language is used elsewhere. And we find that face-to-face is synonymous with mouth-to-mouth. Uh, because to be mouth-to-mouth, you have to be face-to-face. And in the New Testament, we read in Second John, in verse 12, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. And again, this is the Word of God, the Bible. And, and John is writing under the inspiration of God. Having many things to write means having many things to communicate. And remember what Jesus said back in John 16. In John 16, verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Again, to say is to communicate. I have many things to impart to you, information, knowledge, and that's the same idea behind this statement regarding writing. 
I have having many things to write unto you. Jesus said, I have many things to say, but you cannot bear it now. And, and he would hold it back, keep it in reserve for the Holy Spirit to fulfill and, and complete the, uh, information that, that he wanted to reveal. That's what he said in John 16, 12 and verse 13. We find the similar thing said here in different wording. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. And that is a, a wonderful statement that lets us know that when God completes his covenant, when, when God brings forth all this new information, in that hour, you'll not speak, but the Holy Ghost will speak. When God brings forth so much new information, information that had been sealed up until the time of the end, that he will not do so in the same manner that he brought forth the Old Testament information and the New Testament information, all which was written down, but he will do so in a, a special way, in a different way, and that is just through the opening of that which is written, the revealing of the things that have already been written down by the Holy Spirit, and this will complete the revelation. This will be the final covenant, and he will not use paper and ink. The Lord will not move prophets and have them um, declare things and have those things be written down and add them to the book of Revelation or as another book after the book of Revelation because he completed his divine revelation. And he said in Revelation twenty two eighteen, you shall not add or subtract from the words of this book. And therefore it's impossible for God to use paper and ink to write and and add the the information he has just confined himself he he cannot do that it it would go against his word but he can open up the minds of his people as the holy spirit works in them and through them to understand things never previously understood in a in a way that is just incredible to the degree it's as though it is an entirely new covenant. And God refers to this, again, going back to Second John 12. I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. Face to face is always the best means of communication. It's better than email. It's better than on the phone. You you can't see the person's face. And email, of course, you, you can't even hear their voice. But face-to-face, you can hear the voice. You can see the face. You You get a much better sense of what the person means. How many times have you spoken to someone on the phone or through electronic communication and and misunderstood or they've misunderstood face to face is the best 
method of communication to make sure that the one you're speaking with will understand. And that's why God is using it. He He's basically saying, I'm going to make things plain. I'm going to clear up the mystery of the Bible. And, and the Bible is written in a parable. It hide, God hides truth all throughout. And therefore, it, it's a mystery that must be revealed. And it's God's intent to reveal the mystery in full according to the measure that he had determined uh, to measure of understanding to all of his elect. He will reveal in full through the Holy Ghost. He will guide into all truth, not partial, uh, but he will complete the revelation and he will lead his elect into a greater understanding in that hour or in the time of the end when he takes the seals off of the book and it's continuing into the day of judgment at this point. But the Holy Spirit is guiding Scripture with Scripture, the Holy Ghost uh, teaches, and he is directing us into the right way. Now remember Moses in the book of Numbers had his own brother and sister speaking against him and God came to Moses' defense in Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers 12 verse 5, And Jehovah came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam And they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, Jehovah, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth. And again, that's equivalent to face to face. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. Dark speeches are parables. And the similitude of Jehovah shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God basically is saying he will speak plainly to Moses. He will allow Moses to understand. He'll not hide the things he's saying to Moses in dark speeches or in parables, he'll speak directly. And therefore Moses will have great understanding. And that's exactly what um, this phrase, face-to-face, conveys when we read in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, the church age, but then the time of the end, face to face. That is, God will speak plainly. The Holy Spirit will open up the understanding of his people to the great amounts of information that have been sealed. And and then it goes on to say, now I know in part church age, but then the time of the end, shall I know even as also I am known. The 
fuller understanding. When we understand the word of God fuller, we are understanding God more completely, more perfectly, because it's his word. It comes forth from his mouth. So, we will know him by speaking face to face or mouth to mouth. And it basically means we'll know the word of God again to the degree that God would have us to know it. Well, see, this is God's plan. And that's why it's God's plan at the time and the end to bring forth this information through the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're reading concerning blaspheming the Holy Spirit in connection with the time of the end or with the hour of great tribulation. Let's read in Matthew 10 again, verse 24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. You see how God has spoken of Christ being called Beelzebub, and we know uh, they said he was had an unclean spirit, and that was the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And he ties it with his people that will also um, be spoken evil of, and then he tells us not to fear and, and mentions that there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. So he's making a connection with the time when the Holy Spirit will bring forth that truth that he will guide his people into. And it relates to the people of God following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, that pattern, which includes they will be accused of having Beelzebub or being under the power of Satan, of bringing other gospels when they start speaking of the end of the church age and and things like that. Or look at Luke chapter 12, and it's even clearer here. And Luke 12 also mentions not fearing in verse 4. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you, whom ye shall fear, fear him, which after he is killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. And notice how God is emphasizing this not to be afraid. And and basically, that's one of the reasons why we're coming here, because we see with Shavrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, they're not afraid or or uh, they're not allowing their fear to stop them from being faithful to God, from doing the will of God, but they follow through despite maybe some fear they may have in their flesh. And God relates that hour to a time where he, he encourages his people not to fear. It is frightening when, when people start, saying the things that they say concerning the people of God that uh, who who are really uh, being uh, faithful 
servants to the Lord, and yet they're spoken of in an evil way. But uh, we only have a little time, so we have to skip down to verse 10 of Luke 12. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. There is the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But notice what follows. And when they bring you unto the synagogues, and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how, or what thing ye shall answer, or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. And there God very definitely brings the two together, the sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost, he joins with the time when, uh, in the hour of great tribulation, the Holy Spirit will teach what his people will say. And the only reason God would do that is because the corporate church, the New Testament corporate church, will commit the same sin, and it's a corporate sin, and the church will, at that point, lose salvation forever, just as Israel did before it. And they will speak evil of Christ's servants, just as Israel spoke evil of Christ. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.